Welcome to Connected Communities, a podcast produced by TCU's Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development. You're listening to episode five in our series about connected educators. Connected Communities features conversations about trust-based relational intervention, TBRI, and its application within different communities of care and practice. TBRI is an attachment-based, trauma-informed intervention designed to meet the complex needs of children and families who have experienced adversity, early harm, toxic stress, or trauma. Today, you'll hear a conversation with Becky Evans, who is a licensed professional counselor and a district intervention counselor with Alito Independent School District in Alito, Texas. This conversation is full of practical tips for creating a trauma-informed, connected learning environment, whether it's digital or socially distanced. Becky shares how she has seen teachers adapt TBRI strategies virtually, including setting up virtual calming spaces. She also has great wisdom for teachers as they set the tone for self-regulation in their classrooms. So without any further delay, here is our conversation with Becky Evans. Becky, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So we met several years ago working at a TBRI camp for kids that you were serving at the time. So it's, it's been really fun for me to watch your like transition from, from more of a foster care and, and family support into the schools. Would you take a minute and just, you know, in your own words, tell us a little about yourself. How did you get into education? Maybe what roles have you served in and like, what can, what keeps you in the game? Sure. Um, Well, like you said, I started out kind of in the foster care adoption realm and working with Families in home, a lot of that was working with families to help implement TBRI in a home setting. And through that work, I kind of realized that what we were doing at home was working, but then a lot of my clients would go to school and the things they were doing at school was very different than what we were doing in the home. And so through my advocating for um, my clients during that work, I realized that schools were really looking for a lot of the same resources that I was teaching families, but they didn't really know how to handle some of the behaviors and some of the things that were going on with kids from hard places. And so that got me really interested in looking into how can I take this work of TBRI into the school setting? How can I help go into the schools and teach educators, teach um, the kids that I'm working with, teach principals, all of um, the staff in a school, how to really implement TBRI in a school setting. And it's definitely been a learning process of how to implement these strategies in a different setting than I was used to, but it's been really really cool to see the differences in the settings and then also how these different strategies and things that we teach with TBRI can be molded across any environment that you go into. And so I've worked as an intervention specialist for the past four years was basically I was on one school campus and my job was to educate the teachers and the staff about trauma-informed practices. How do we implement that? The job was to respond to students um, who were in crisis and teach them new skills, teach them how to do things and how to really implement TBRI across um, the campus. And now I've transitioned into a new role. I'm going to be working in a different district, um, going across different schools within the district to help kids that um, have some needs and just see how we can help. So I'm really excited. I'm passionate about seeing schools become more trauma-informed. It's something that I think is very needed and something I think a lot of people are hungry for. And it's been a really cool transition to work through. So That is amazing. I, I love to see how people change and grow in their capacity 
changes and grows. And I think it's going to be fun to look back over, you know, maybe in a year's time to see what your experience going from school to school is like. And um, that, that sounds really fun and exciting and challenging all at the same time. But we know you're ready. <laughs> Thank you. So here in Texas, you know, it's 2020 and we're living in a global pandemic. Um, but specifically in Texas, because I know you're located in Texas too, uh, we have seen the numbers really on the rise most recently, and, and we're experiencing a time when um, return to school has become a very fluid topic, um, almost a, a, something where we're seeing daily changes, you know, as of today maybe. Um, what does return to school look like for you and your district? Yes, it's definitely a fluid situation. I think it's requiring a lot of flexibility right now, but um, currently the return to school plan for my district will be that the kids start back on our normal start date in August. Um, the first two and a half weeks, they will be doing a hybrid model. So what that looks like is the kids will come to school two days a week in person, and they will be virtual the other three days of the week. Um, that will be for the first two and a half weeks of school. And then after that, if as long as everything's going well and we feel like things are running smoothly, it will transition to um, five days a week in person if parents choose. Parents can also choose to send their kids, just keep their kids home virtually learning. Um, but after that, kids will, or parents will have the option to send their kids five days a week um, for in-person learning if they choose to. So that's kind of what we're looking at right now um, if nothing else changes. so Fast, fluid, and flexible. Right. <laughs> that's a real thing, right? And yeah, so yes. I just think about like, so when they do the, um, the two days a week at the school, will that be all the kids or will some of them be coming in the opposite days or is that for like intermittent cleaning? It'll be kind of like an A and B rotation. So the A group will come, let's say Monday, Wednesday, the B group will come Tuesdays and Thursdays. So it kind of packs okay. the kids. So try to help with yeah. social distancing, but also just helping everybody kind of reacclimate to being in school again. Like what does this look like? Especially now that things are going to be very different um, giving sure. the teachers time to kind of get everything laid out, giving the students time to readjust to all the new practices, just kind of not having everyone come back at the same time, trying to implement with everybody, but kind of trying to cut that in half um, so that they can, we can kind of ease back into it. So that makes sense. I, I kind of like yeah. that plan. Yeah. Um, you know, as we think about um, just this time, you know, schools are so focused on creating safety, right? Like, I mean, schools have always been focused on safety. It's You ask anywhere that has a group of kids, they're going to say safety is the priority, right? But right now, that's even amped up so much further because we have to think about social distancing. We have to think about hand sanitizer and masks and, and just the spread of this virus. And so we know that the, the, the other goal of schools is education. But we also know because of our, our work in trauma that what we need for people to have to be able to learn is felt safety. And so when we talk about felt safety, you know, we, we talk about creating an environment that's, that's predictable, that's connecting, that, um, you know, comes with a lot of grace and those kinds of things, but also comes with a lot of structure um, so that, that our brains don't have to, to worry about a lot of the other things. So as you, as you think about creating felt safety, what do you think the administration needs in order to feel safe, because I, I mean, I worry so much about everybody in the schools right now. And, and right now we're seeing a lot of decisions based, you know, made for 
made by administrators. What do you think they need in order to understand what felt safety is and how to create it within the district? Right. I think that is going to be number one priority. Like you said, it it really has been in schools, but I think even more so now with all of the changes and the challenges that we're coming with. And I think for administration, a lot of what they need is a lot of a lot of grace, a lot of flexibility. I think that they are having to make really impossible decisions right now um, that are never going to please everyone. And so I think things are changing for them daily as much as staff feels like, well, you just told me this yesterday and now it's changing. Um, they are getting their orders from above as well. And so they are being told these are the stipulations. These are the requirements. This is what you have to do. And then having to put that into, okay, what is this going to make our school day look like? What is this going to make our school year look like? And trying to pass down information to staff. And so I think, um, you know, we talk about that, like you said, flexibility is going to be huge this year. Um, I think really trying to be understanding with administration right now, be really empathetic with them because they are dealing with a lot. They're dealing with stress just as much as everyone else is. And so just really trying to help them see that we're in support of them, we're we're behind them, um, I think is a big deal. And so I think just trying to encourage your administrator, if you could reach out to your principal and just say, hey, I know you're faced with an impossible decision, you're doing a good job. You know, just trying to help them feel some sense of that felt safety, because I think right now they feel like no matter what decision they make, they're not going to make everybody happy. And that's a really hard place to be in, at, in leadership. Yeah. And they have to have their own fear too, right? I mean, so mm-hmm. like the, their need for felt safety just has to be so paramount. And, and some of that, just I just don't, I just, I just ache for really everybody that's, that's going back to school. Mm-hmm. When I think about the teachers and and what they need, like what is what does a teacher need from a principal when you think about felt safety? Yeah, I think that that is huge. What I'm hearing from a lot of educators that I talk to right now is there is no sense of felt safety. Um, a lot of that has to do with things being unpredictable. You know, whenever we talk about creating felt safety for a student, we talk about having predictable routines and consistency and, you know, all of these things that right now we really don't have a lot of because the the situation is changing so quickly. And so I think with teachers, we've got to do whatever we can to try to help them feel safe. Because I always tell teachers when I work with them, you are the model of self-regulation in your classroom. And so we need you to stay as much as possible in control, need you to stay regulated so that you can help all these little 20 kids that you have in your class or more stay regulated. And so if we are dealing with a lot of really dysregulated teachers, we've got to really help them achieve that felt safety as much as we can. And I think a lot of it has to do with communication as much as we can to communicate clearly the expectations and communicate a plan because a lot of teachers right now are hearing that we're going back, but then, you know, there's a million questions that follow that. What happens if I get sick? What happens if my child has to quarantine? What happens if a student in my class comes up positive? You know, there's all of these factors that, you know, they're laying out first and foremost, here's when we're going back. But now teachers want to know the logistics. How is this all going to run? How is this all going to work? And so I think as much as possible, communicating clear expectations and just and having, I think, for administrators, have a process of checking in with your teachers, and do it frequently because don't assume that you know the first day they came back, okay, they're good. And that means they're good from here on out. Uh, how, whatever that looks like, you know, divide up the staff and have each administrator responsible for checking in with them, have a process for that. 
do it individually, not in a group, because people may not want to share their concerns in front of other people, but have a consistent plan for how you're going to check in with teachers and do it consistently and frequently. Because I think sometimes people are dealing with things that they're not going to share and just being more aware of that and just having a lot of flexibility and a lot of understanding, I think is going to go a long way with teachers right now. Yeah, I I so agree with that. And I think that, you know, the pressure is just, is so huge for everyone, but you know, if, when you're, you're, when you're actually the one in the school, you know, in the classroom with these 20 something kids every single day, like, and, and, you know, in my mind, teachers already had too much to do before they had to worry about, um, a global pandemic, you know, I mean, we, we would, right. we used to talk about how are they going to add one more thing to their list? You know, when we're saying, you know, try to connect with the kid and they're saying, I have 42 boxes I have to check in the next five minutes. Like how, how could I add right. one more thing? So, you know, I just, um, I love the idea of just being really present and checking in with them. We all need the influence of TBRI. And if our teachers can receive some of that, I think it would really calm their stress systems. So as we talk about, you know, calming stress systems and and even thinking about regulation, I know that you have created some really useful calming spaces in schools for students. And I know oftentimes that involved uh, the students like going specifically to, you know, a a space or a room that you guys had dedicated for regulation. Um, But right now, I'm not sure that kids are going to be moving in in and outside of classrooms. And I'm not sure that they can even have a shared space in the classroom. So can you give some advice for teachers of how to create, even within the student's own little area, a space where they could regulate and calm and and just have some of those tools necessary that are maybe even just assigned to them? Because, you know, we can't share fidgets and we can't share weighted blankets right now or, mm-hmm. or whatever else we're using. So do you have any suggestions for what maybe teachers could both do and provide for students in this moment? Yeah, I think it's, you know, going to be even more important right now to have some kind of plan for calming because this is going to be so new and different for students coming back. Um, not being away for so long, for one thing. I mean, if it was just a really long break, it would be hard for kids to readjust, but dealing with everything else and all the differences, I think it's going to be even more important to have a calming space for students. And so a couple of ideas, I know that um, right now, I've seen a a lot of different people coming out with virtual calming spaces. And so it's a website that you go to. A lot of people are creating them on Google Slides. And there's different areas where students can go into it and they can access it themselves. So most of it is videos. Um, There'll be areas for breathing strategies. And you click on it and there's a video that takes walks the kid through a breathing strategy. There's a place for... Um, guided imagery or meditation or whatever it is. And it it's just videos that help walk the student through those different activities. Uh, there's a place for music where they could, you know, sit down and go through the music. And so maybe having instead of a dedicated calming space with all these things we usually have in there, maybe you could have a, a computer set up where they go and they sit and they go through this virtual calming space. So it's really it's a really good idea. And that, that could also work for students who are learning virtually. So maybe they are in class with you, but you could guide them to that and teach them how to access that site so that they can do some virtual calming themselves. Other things I think, you know, it would be really probably difficult for a classroom of, you know, let's say 20 kids, however many are going to be in your, your classroom to have, a, you know, a bucket for every single kid individually. 
but maybe a teacher could have some things like maybe you have two or three buckets that you switch out and in between switching out, you sanitize everything. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing with calming spaces right now is everything has to be able to be wiped down and sanitized, you know, like it has to be um, maybe plastic fidgets instead of the squishy ones that we usually have. Um, things like calm bottles that are like the, you know, the water bottles that have the glitter and the glue inside, you can shake them up and watch it settle that's something that could be sanitized in between um, instead of like all the big pillows and blankets and things we're used to in the calming spaces, you know, maybe a yoga mat that could be sanitized and wiped down with Lysol wipes but in between. Maybe you have, they have those things called scoop rockers. It looks um, kind of like a plastic, the plastic top of a chair, but it sits on the floor and they can rock back and forth, but it's completely made of plastic. And so something that can be wiped down in between, I think that's going to be the biggest thing with that. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be this huge elaborate thing, um, but just something giving them the tools. Cause you know, we always, I always tell teachers when we talk about setting up calming areas, it's not the area so much as what's in it that helps students calm down. You know, it's not necessarily this magic place they go to. It's what do I do while I'm in this space to help me calm down and help me regulate. And so I think a lot of that, you know, goes to the pre-teaching about here's how we use it. And then in between when they're done, maybe they bring the bucket to the teacher and the teacher sanitizes it and switches out with another bucket. And, you know, I think teachers are going to have to be even more creative than they already are. I always see really great ideas from teachers, but some things I thought about that might work as far as switching things out, being able to sanitize, um, but still offer those calming spaces. Yeah, that is, that is so good. And it's so important because you know, I, like I said, I hate to add anything to a teacher's list, and I've said several times throughout this podcast that, that teachers are without a doubt the most creative people on the planet. Like, if, if there's anybody yes. we can get to solve this riddle, it, it's going to be a teacher. Um, right. But I love the idea of, of swapping those out, and I really love that idea of the virtual calming space because we know a lot of learning will be done um, on, you know, a tablet or a laptop. As we think about teaching skills proactively, you just mentioned that a little bit, talking about, you know, we teach the, the kids the procedure for um, what happens when you get the bucket or you get the, the, you know, chair or whatever, and what happens when you're done with it. When we think about teaching even maybe a little bit bigger skills proactively, when you think through the lens of TBRI, what might be some one or two skills you would encourage every teacher out there to say, like, Start by teaching the kids this, whether you're learning remotely or whether you're in person. Yeah, I always start with and encourage teachers to start with the engine plate. Um, it's a TBRI skill that we use a lot to teach kids how they're feeling and how their body is working in the moment. And so I think it's something you could easily teach kids virtually or in person, um, walking them through this is what the engine plate looks like. These are what the different colors mean, which means your body is feeling a certain way. Um, something you can even create virtually. I usually encourage teachers to do it the first week of school so they can utilize it throughout the year. So even virtually, you can have kids create it with whatever they have. If they don't have a paper plate and a, you know, a brad or whatever, you could just have them draw it on a piece of paper and maybe they point to it instead of using an arrow to point to how they're feeling in that moment. And so I think really starting with engine plates, because I think we are going to see a flood of really dysregulated kids coming back to school uh, after such a long period of being out of school, but also just adjusting to the changes of how school is going to look now. And so I think really teaching them, this is what my body feels like when I'm dysregulated. And then I would say the flip side of that would be, then we need to really teach kids, okay, when you are feeling dysregulated, here are some things that you can do. 
And so really working with teachers, that's, you know, always when I work with teachers, I teach them first. Here's here's a handful of self-regulation strategies you can teach to your students and have them teach it to their students, practice with their students. You know, teachers might have to use it themselves. And so it's a really good way to model that for your students saying, look, when I get dysregulated, sometimes I come to school and I'm feeling a little bit hyper. I'm feeling a little bit sleepy. And so here's what I do to help get my engine back to the green. And so really just working with teaching the kids what it looks like and how to recognize it, but then also how do I help myself to calm down? So teaching them things like magic mustache or blowing their soup or chair pulls or any of those strategies that we a lot of times teach teachers or encourage them to, but even more so now, I think is going to be really important for all these dysregulated little kiddos coming back to us. So, Well, and I I think dysregulated adults too, you know, I mean, this Mm -hmm. is such a dysregulating time and um, we were, um, we were talking to Terry Wood at uh, Austin ISD and she talked about, we have the opportunity to be in an emotional contagion. So if we're Mm -hmm. regulated and we're in a good space, we get to spread and share that with our kids. And if we're dysregulated, there's a potential for us to share that with our kids too. And I I love that visual. It it fits really well right now for me when we're so worried about things spreading, but there's some really good things we want to spread too. And so I love that. For those of you that um, aren't familiar with the alert system, which is where we um, found engine plates. We'll also have the uh, information about, um, I mean, the alert program. We'll also have information about that uh, in the engine plates in our notes for today's episode. Um, as you know, Becky, connecting is really the heartbeat of TBRI. And there are a lot of things within connecting that are maybe a little more challenging right now. And so I wonder um, when you think about our connecting principles and what we do to connect. How do you see us um, maybe, maybe modifying some of our recommendations in order uh, to connect with kiddos? And, and maybe let's just start by talking about just virtually. Right. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a challenge. I think that's a lot of teachers' fears moving into a new school year. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of teachers say it was hard enough to connect with my students I already knew virtually, much less meeting brand new students and trying to feel like I'm connecting and getting to know them virtually. And so I think a lot of it is going to have to be really intentional the first, you know, week or so of school of really like having that be your focus. So we're putting the needs of the students um, above that academic part right off the bat. It's going to have to be about connecting with our students however we can. I think a lot of teachers do things like morning circle time or morning check-ins, do that virtually, you know, start have a, what we call like a virtual circle, you know, go around and just, get to know students, ask them questions. You know, it can be very simple things, just trying to get to know each other as a class, but also the teachers getting to know the students and just allowing them that time to just process just fun things. You know, what's your favorite color? If you could be a superhero, who would you be and why? Just those kinds of things, just getting to kind of know our students that way. Um, And doing that, I think every day, doing some kind of check-in with your students, some kind of time for them to share things that don't really have to do with academics necessarily. Um, I think trying to do some kind of visual check-in would be really good. So maybe not everybody, I know that's a challenge um, to have a kindergartner and that was a challenge on the Zoom calls was trying to get (laughs) them to answer a question (laughs) without all 20 of them talking at the same time, you know? (laughs) And so just doing some kind of visual check-in that doesn't require maybe words all the time, like a thumbs up, thumbs in the middle, thumbs down. How are you doing today? 
Um, you know, getting that, still getting that information. And then for some of the students, maybe that don't share in the big group or that you notice have a thumbs down, maybe trying to individually connect with those kids, you know, check Mm -hmm. in with them and do an individual conference virtually, um, just to kind of check in because, you know, there's going to be the kids that we see are really our externalizers that are really acting out and we can tell this is that a big adjustment or it's going to be a big adjustment. And then there's some that probably aren't ever going to share, but may also still be struggling. And so I think just as teachers, you know, being aware of that, trying to key into that and then follow up with those students and, you know, engage your school counselors in that. If you say, Hey, you know, I'm trying to juggle all these things. Can you check in with this student, you know, asking for help on that too. But I think just whatever we can do to try to, again, create that sense of felt safety, that connection before we kind of move into, okay, let's just hit the ground running with learning. So. Yeah, for sure. I like that. I think, I mean, talk about the opportunity to bring a kid from their downstairs brain to their upstairs brain, just right. just feeling connected is so important. And uh, I love the idea of all the kindergartners, you know, (laughs) I guess, unless I'm the teacher that probably, (laughs) although it's probably entertaining, I suppose. Oh, yes, um, it was. <laughs> what about like you talked about your school district is going right off the bat to in-person learning. Um, how do you think what are some creative ways that we can still connect with social distancing? Yeah, I think that's one of the big things that um, I think will will change, but can still be really powerful is like the greeting routines. Like a lot of teachers, you know, you see tons of videos out there of teachers that greet their students at the door and. Um, by name and eye contact and all those things. And a lot of times that involves healthy touch, right? We're Mm -hmm. fist bumping, we're high-fiving, we're hugging, all of those things. All of that's going to have to obviously stop right now. And so I think just some creative ways that you can do those things, maybe change those greeting routines to use symbolic touch. So we mean like kind of like an air five where you're not really touching or, um, you know, maybe there's those different greeting charts I'm sure you've seen where teachers, the students will point to, this is how I want to be greeted and the teacher and then greets them that way. And so it's offering choices, usually healthy touch, but right now I think it's going to have to be a lot of that symbolic touch. So maybe mm-hmm. it's okay. We do a dance together. Maybe we air high five, maybe, um, you know, wave something saluting, whatever you can do to kind of still make <laughs> it fun, you know, and, and knowing that you're still greeting that student, um, I've seen something too that I thought was cute, just kind of, you know, looking around for creative ideas. Um, One teacher talked about, uh, they did summer school in person this summer, and she had all the students the first day create like a cardboard hand. And so they all traced their hands and they got to decorate it and they glued it to like a popsicle stick. And so she taught her kids how to only touch the stick. You're not going to touch the cardboard. Um, You're just going to touch the popsicle stick. But that was like the way that they high five each other was with these, mm. they could still stay apart from each other, but high five with the cardboard hands. Um, that's how they got their teacher's attention, either virtually or in person, they would raise their cardboard hand <laughs> to be able to ask permission it. for things. Um, and that was a way that they kind of greeted it as well. She would put the bucket by the door and they could grab their hand and they could still high five with that. And so just thinking of things like that outside the box, like how can we still connect? How can we still do these things in a way that's respecting that social distancing. And um, so I thought that was a really cute idea to do that. So, yeah, I love that. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Teachers are just so creative. It's like you give them a, a, a 
problem to solve and a piece of cardboard and a, <laughs> a popsicle right. stick. And they're like, here we go. We right. did it. You know, right. it's like, wow, they're kind of the MacGyver of, of problem right. solving. If I, right. You may not be old enough to know who MacGyver is. So <laughs> yes, for do. those of you that do, you'll appreciate that. <laughs> you know, the other thing I think about is what, when we connect with kids, we have, you know, verbal and nonverbal cues that we use all the time. Um, and, and one of that is, you know, our expression, well, now Mm -hmm. the majority of our face is going to be covered with a mask. And so Mm -hmm. one thing that I recognize really quickly is that I tend to frown a lot. Um, and it's not about my mood. It's just about like I'm thinking or whatever. And so I'm trying to be more expressive with my mask on that does not just look like I'm trying to get in and out of the store as fast as possible, but it's like being more warm and kind. How would you encourage teachers to really connect, you know, using eye contact, but it's also not out of respect, right? It's out of connection. So, so just thinking about wearing a mask and connection, what are you, what are some of your suggestions for that? Right. That's been a lot of concern for, um, I think a lot of teachers who are teaching the younger grades, especially that, um, you know, elementary students sometimes have a hard time even, um, interpreting facial expressions without masks on, but especially Mm -hmm. now. And so I think, you know, some of the things we talk about, with TBRI, with the engagement strategies are going to be even more important, um, not just the eye contact, but your voice tone and your voice level. You know, we talk about making sure your voice is modulating based on what you're trying to say, because I think that's going to be super important. So if you are in playful engagement, if you're engaging in kids in a playful manner, your voice needs to reflect that, you know. Um, I, I saw an article, which I will also give you guys a link to this, about how to help students, especially younger students, deal with this with everybody wearing masks. Like, how do I interpret things? How do you help kids interpret things? Um, They talk about using more hand gestures, you know, talking Mm -hmm. more. I tend to talk with my hands anyway, but just more using hand gestures. If you're celebrating with a student, doing something with your hands to show you're celebrating. If, um, Mm. you know, those kinds of things, like really helping them to see that. Um, So I think paying attention to all those other nonverbals, you know, with most of our face covered about how important that's going to be Um, There's also a lot of social stories out there. I know teachers love to use social stories to help teach skills. And there's a lot out there right now about masks and why we need to wear them right now and um, things like that. Because I think initially it's, it can be um, frightening for kids or confusing for kids why everybody's in masks. And so there's a lot of really good social stories out right now. Um, Teachers pay teachers is a great resource and there's a lot of them that are out there that are free. And so you can go through that maybe the first couple of days of school and talking about why we're wearing masks and um, things like that, just kind of educating the kids and helping them, again, feel safe with all of this going on. And so having, you know, educators be aware of what it might seem like to kids, but then also helping kids understand, like, we're still here to be playful. We're still here, you know, to have fun and to learn and all of these things. And we can still do that even if we're having to wear masks. So, yeah, um, yeah just being real flexible with that and trying to encourage kids that, you know, we can still do this, even if we have to do some things that don't feel maybe as comfortable as we'd like them to, but we can still learn and have fun and all of that, even having to do this. So you give me so much hope, you know, and (laughs) and you just said something um, that I hadn't really thought about, but you know, if, if you ever have ever listened to a teacher read a story in class, like all the voices, all the Mm -hmm. animation comes out and, and, I just imagine like 
they could still bring a story to life with a mask on. And so it's like almost bringing that into a lot of the communication to, to help um, a child understand, you know, a little bit more about where they are and to feel safe and connected. Um, right. I think that's such a great thing. So as somebody working, you know, inside the schools and, you know, for me as a parent, I'm weighing the pros and cons of, you know, sending my kids to school or them virtually learning and, and what makes the most sense for for them um, and their style of learning. What do you think schools need from parents right now? Yeah, I think a lot of schools are feeling or a lot of educators right now are feeling um, like they're kind of in the crosshairs of this whole thing. You know, they're getting uh, blamed for decisions that are really out of their control or they're, you know, they're hearing a lot of things about how the virtual learning was in the spring and it's, it was terrible and it's going to be that way and things like that. And I think really teachers right now and educators need to hear that parents are behind them, that they want to work together, that they want to support teachers. Um, because I think that's a lot of teachers are feeling really dysregulated and really anxious about coming back to the classroom to begin with. And then if they're trying to balance you know, virtual teaching versus in-class teaching, plus meeting all the needs of all of the families and all of their students, I think really just being patient and being flexible with your child's teacher. Um, I would encourage parents, if you haven't heard from a teacher as much as you would like to, reach out to that teacher, you know, voice that, um, voice your child's needs to them. Um, you know, say, hey, I'm having trouble with this assignment, making it work for my child. What would you suggest? Um, because teachers are, as a whole, are such a helpful group. They want to help. They want to teach. They want to help their kids learn. You know, I had to do that a lot as a parent when we were doing the virtual learning in the spring was, okay, I don't know how to make this work for my student who has some special needs. How do I do this? How do I accommodate this for him? And, and I would email the teacher, she'd get back to me and we would do it. And so I think just really having that collaboration, that communication is is important because I think right now, Teachers are having to juggle a whole lot, and I think that just being understanding of that and just communicating with them, um, instead of just sitting back and waiting for the teacher to do all of that, meet them halfway, work with them, collaborate. I think that's what all teachers need right now. Well, and and, and you just said something, and it just sparked uh, just another thought in my head. I worry a lot about the families that are trying so hard to all of a sudden be homeschoolers. Quote unquote, and I know my attitude, and it's probably easier for me because you know my kids are older, and there's no way that my brain is going to do chemistry. So <laughs> right. it's really, really easy for me to say, I'm we are not a homeschool family still. Um, mm -hmm. We're doing virtual learning, and there are a lot of resources at the school to help, and I will help support you in accessing those resources. <laughs> right. But I am probably not the resource for that. But I think especially people with younger kids, I think you just gave them such a golden nugget of, of being in the schools yourself and being an educator and saying, you know what I did when I couldn't figure out how to help my own was I reached out to the schools for help. I reached mm -hmm. out to the schools because they know the intent of this, this assignment and they know what they're trying to get. And, you know, we all want the, the, the child to learn, but really the, the idea is that we are really working and communicating together to meet everybody's needs. Um, right. So Becky, you are an absolute gem. I know you've done a ton of work with us training even most recently in some schools, and we are so grateful for your, your time today on our podcast. If you had any one last nugget and, you know, maybe this is just for, for the parents, those parents that are really struggling with being, um, you know, at home, um, 
what, what would you tell them? Yeah, I think right now, a lot of it, a lot of my advice would be, be patient, take care of yourself, take care of your, your children, um, do what you can to stay regulated yourself, because a lot of what's going on around everyone right now is very dysregulating. It's very anxiety provoking for a lot of people. And so I think as frustrating as it is that plans seem to be changing by the day, sometimes by the hour, um, try to be patient, try to be flexible, try to do what you can to keep yourself regulated and communicate with your kids and give that regulation to your kids. Because I think right now they are also anxious about school and what that's going to look like. And I think just trying to stay in that state and, and, you know, we talk about a lot of our house, we're going to put that down, like that worry, we're going to put it down. Then later I pick it back up and then I got to put it back down. And then I got to, I pick it back up again. And I just got to, it's that continuous process of, okay, I pick these things up and then I've got to put it down and just say, okay, we're going to stay in the moment. We're going to do the best we can with what we have. And um, just really trying to, to be flexible with all of this. I think it's uncharted territory for everyone. And so just really trying to um, be patient with yourself and allow yourself to feel the things that you're feeling, but then also to, okay, let's bring it back. Let's just go with this the best we can and, and, and do the best we can. That's all we can do right now. Connected Communities is produced by TCU's Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development. For more information about the resources mentioned in this show, please visit our website, child.tcu.edu slash podcast. Thanks so much for connecting with us today. See you next time.